0: an ultimate week uh, on a preaching series uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, The preaching series is called Flipped, and uh, we're looking at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this amazing piece of teaching that, that Jesus brought, where he flips everything on its head. What culture tells us, what world tells us, what society tells us, Jesus flips it on its head. And just as a way of introduction and reminding ourselves, it's important to remember that the only person to have ever lived out the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus himself. Only Jesus lived completely the words in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Okay, today we are in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 12. And the title of this message is Relationships Are What Matter. The world we live in is a very individual, individual, easy for me to say, uh, individualistic culture. It's all about me, okay? It's all about me. It's about the individual. And Jesus comes along and flips this on its head and says, well, actually, it's about relationship, it's about community. And relationship and community is difficult. Relationship and community, even within church life, can be challenging at times. It's not always easy, but it's God's way that we live in relationship with one another. A number of years ago, before I pastored and led Hope Church, I used to run the youth. Uh, at the church that I was a part of in Bethnal Green, and uh, I helped take about 20 East London young people to an event called New Day. Uh, New Day is a great event. Uh, It gathers about 7,000 young people from around the country to, to a showground somewhere in the country. At the moment, it's in Norwich, but back then, I think it was in Peterborough, and it would gather kind of like seven thousand young people uh, for worship and teaching and loads and loads of crazy fun. Now I was leading this group of twenty or so young people from East London. Uh, many of whom had never camped before. Uh, you know, it was it was fun. It was crazy. It was edgy. It was good fun. We'd had two good days, and then uh, after the second day, myself and Jen. Uh, I don't think we were married at that time, but we were going out, and we went to a mutual friend's wedding for the day. So we left the campsite. We left the 20 or so young people, the youth leaders. Everything was set up. We left that Saturday morning. We went to the wedding, and then we returned late on the Saturday night to back at the New Day at the showground where this was all taking place. And as we arrived back at like 11 o'clock at night or whatever it was, like, and we came back to our campsite. We realised that something was very wrong, and the youth leaders were, were were mutinous. They wanted to go home. They they'd had enough. It had been a very very bad day. There had been fights. Uh, there had been fallings out. Um, some of the youth leaders had lost their cool. Some of them wanted to go home. I think some of the young people were kind of really playing up, jumping on the back of these golf carts and kind of like swinging around. It was just mayhem caused by the East London young people. And so you arrive back into that context and you're like, oh, (laughs) oh, okay. what are we going to do here? Are we going to give up? Or are we going to get involved in trying to piece together relationships, get people to apologize, get people to pray for each other, help each other, care for each other, say sorry, go again the next morning? It was difficult. It was tough. I remember it being one of the most difficult situations to come back into with relationships fraught. But with hard work, with determination, with God's help, We came back, we worked at relationships, and God did incredible things over the coming days. We saw young people come to faith. We saw young people healed. We saw young people set free. The point is, relationships are what matter. Okay, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 7 and verses 1 to 5 to start with. Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 5. Judge not that you are not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So in terms of relationships, the first thing I want to look at is our attitude to our brother, our sister in Christ. Jesus, again, never anticipated that the Christian community is going to be perfect, that it's all going to be easy and hunky-dory. People Do things wrong. People wrong us. There are tensions. There are problems. So how then do we respond? When a problem arises in a relationship or in the church, what should we do and what should we say? Now, the first thing to say is that we must be very clear that Jesus makes it abundantly obvious that we are not to judge. Verse 1, do not judge. When it comes to relationships with one another, do not judge. To judge is really uncalled for criticism. It's being someone who is a fault finder in another. It's someone who, who is ungenerous when mistakes come up. Someone who is negative and destructive towards others. And you see, when you set yourself up as a judge over another, you are playing the wrong role. Who ordained that you can be the Lord or judge over another? Romans 14 verse 4, Paul says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Man is not God. No human being is qualified to be the judge of fellow human beings. We cannot know the hearts, the the, the motives, the issues that are going on in another person's life. Verse 2 tells us that if we are judging others, there will be greater scrutiny upon ourselves. The challenge for all of us is to stop being presumptuous and stop playing God. You see, we're not to be a hypocrite. That's what Jesus says in verse three and four. And he gives this little parable, this this very famous little like couple of sentences parable about the speck and the plank. He says, what are you meddling with the speck in another's eye when you've got this massive plank in your own eye? I mean, it's completely over the top, the imagery, but Jesus is making a point. We're not to be meddling in the little faults in others when there's big issues in our own lives. But Jesus knew that this was what people did, and they still do it today. It's what people do. They love to point out the specks in others' lives and the issues in other people's lives. Why? Why do people do that? Why do we do that? Why do I do that? Why do all of us in different seasons or different times start pointing out the specks in others' eyes when there are big issues in our own? I think there's a number of reasons. I think we sometimes are blind to our own faults, the plank just blinds us to our own issues. Sometimes it's a defense mechanism. You know, it's, we can't deal with our own pain and our own issues, so we point the finger at others. It's easier to meddle in the affairs of others than to deal with the big issues in our own lives. But Jesus calls us very clearly here hypocrites, if that is what we are doing. It's a very strong word In the Greek. So what are we to do then? What are we to do? We are to first look in the mirror. That's what we're to do first. We're to spend time first examining ourselves rather than worrying about the wrongdoings of others. You see, Jesus is very clear here that it's more important that you get your own life sorted with God than meddling and dealing with others. It's you and God that matters first and foremost. You see, all of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are forgiven by the grace of God alone. So what should our attitude be then? If we are not to judge, very clear, do not judge. What should our attitude be then towards one another? What Jesus tells us. In verse 5, he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your, and here it is, brother's eye. What should our attitude be to one another? We are to be brothers, to be sisters to one another. You see, Jesus is not telling us, well, just mind your own business then. Just, just just, have your head down, looking at yourself, dealing with your own issues and, and, and deal and don't interact with others. No, he's not saying that. We have a brotherly, a sisterly responsibility to our fellow family members. Yes, if there's an issue in someone's life, if there's a problem that they are struggling with, then we are to go up to them and help them take that speck out of their eye in a loving, caring, kind way. But for me, what is important is the order. We are to correct ourselves first before God. Then with the plank gone, with clarity of vision, we can then take the speck out of another's eye. For me, this is what I was thinking as I was reading it this week and meditating on it. For me, it was mirror first and then tweezers. Mirror first and then tweezers. Mirror first, get the issues out of my own life, the plank, the get it out, get it out, and then lovingly, carefully, take a pair of tweezers and lovingly, carefully take the speck out of another's eye now that I can see. So Jesus' standard for relationships is very high. It flips things on its head to what the world tells us. Jesus says, don't judge. Don't be harsh. Don't be critical. Don't be hypocritical, blaming others for issues that you may have yourself, but rather be a brother and be loving and be for the person that you are helping. Caring for others so much that you want them to see that issue dealt with and you want to see them recover. You want to see them restored be generous and kind to others so that's the first thing our attitude to brothers to to sisters to to those around us those that we come into contact with now let's read verse 6 it's kind of a little bit of a stand on its own verse it's a little bit of a challenging verse. It's a little bit of a, wow, what's this language that Jesus suddenly talks about? So let me let me read it, and then we'll unpack it. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Well, I mean, that's quite a startling language, isn't it? And you're like, hold on, Jesus, what are you doing? We just told us, do not judge. Now you're talking about something with, with dogs and pigs. And uh, what's, what's going on here? You say, well, what are pigs and what are dogs in this context? Well, the dogs, first of all, were not your lovely little, little puppies. You know, the dogs that they were talking about were the wild dogs that used to eat around the rubbish dumps outside of Jerusalem or other side of big cities. So they were wild packs of dogs. And the pigs were an unclean animal to Jews. And and Jews never gave kind of uh, holy food to unclean animals. So Jesus says, do not throw your pearls before pigs. What's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about the pearl of great price. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about... The gospel. He's talking about salvation. Now you're saying, hold on a minute, Mark. What's Jesus saying here? Is he saying that we are not to preach the gospel to certain people? Uh, what's he saying? I thought we were told to, to go and make disciples to all people. Yes, yes, yes. But what Jesus is talking about here, when he talks about dig, dog, digs, dogs and pigs, he's talking about those who have had ample opportunity to receive the gospel, and yet have decisively and emphatically rejected it. Those who have shown a hardened contempt for God. And you see, Jesus kind of um, modeled this when he sent out the 12 disciples. Let me just read you a couple of verses from Luke. Luke chapter 10, And verses 10 to 11. So this is Jesus sending out the disciples. And he he kind of commanded them to go out, the 72. And listen to what he says in verse 10 and 11 of Luke chapter 10. But whenever you come to a town and they do not receive you, go into his streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe it off against it. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And then one other example from the uh, early church, from Acts chapter 13 and verse 44 to 45. This is uh, Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, and they've gone to the Jews first. And this is what Paul says. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was being spoken by Paul. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of the God be spoken to you first. But since you have thrust it aside and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles." So Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel to the Jews. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. So Paul was like, okay, fine, we're off to the Gentiles. So what Jesus is saying here, and it's something we don't often talk about, and it's a very unusual verse, but what Jesus is saying here is, look, let your words and your life and your ministry count. There will be rare occasions, very rare occasions When you have preached the gospel, when you've given the opportunity to respond, when you've invested your life in someone or a situation, and it's time to move on. It's time to say the seed's been sown. I have told them about Jesus. It's time to move on. Now, the normal Christian duty is patience and persistence. But Jesus is almost saying here with our relationships, there's freedom to move on. There's freedom to be guided by God, and there's freedom to move on. Okay, so we've looked at our attitude to one another when there's disagreements or when there's issues to be sorted. We've looked at kind of like the dogs and the pigs. Let's move on and read a little bit further as we read from verse 7. We're going to look here at our attitude to our heavenly Father. We're going to read from verse 7 to verse 11. know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him now the parallel passage to this is luke chapter 11 9 to 13 and that's important for one reason which i'll show you in a minute but jesus is talking here again about prayer he's already talked about prayer in uh, earlier on in the sermon on the mount in matthew chapter 6 And he's asking us here to be bold, to be confident in our prayer. It's interesting he goes, ask, seek, knock. Or I should say, ask, seek, knock. Because it's like a a ascending scale of urgency. It's like ask, then seek, then knock. It's like what Jesus is telling us. Be urgent when we come to him in prayer. But the context of this particular passage, I think, is often misunderstood. Or is often lumps with the Lord's prayer. But I think Jesus is talking about something different here. Ask and you will receive. Now, in the Lord's prayer, we've already know that we are to ask about our material needs. Give us this day our daily bread. We're to ask there about our emotional needs, about forgiveness. We're to ask about spiritual protection. You know, Jesus has already outlined that in the Lord's prayer. The key here is asking For more of God. The the key here is if we are hungry for God and we crave a greater intimacy with God, we're to ask Him for more of His presence and more of His anointing and more of His intimacy, and we can be certain that He will give that. It's almost like everything that Jesus has taught so far in the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, look, are you hungry because of what you've listened to? Are you hungry because of what I've taught you? If so, we'll ask for more. You've had a taste. You've had a kind of an appetizer. Now come and ask for more of me. Now, I want you to look. The parallel passage is in Luke 11. And there's a slight difference when it comes to this kind of portrayal when Luke says it. Because in Luke 11 and verse 13, it says this, if you then, who are evil, know how much, sorry, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Those who ask the Holy Spirit, is poured out. You see, Jesus is challenging us here about our relationship with God and about asking him, not for our material needs. We know we can do that with the Lord's Prayer. Not for our emotional needs. We know that. Not for our protection, spiritual protection and spiritual warfare. We know that. He's saying, look, come to me boldly. Come to me and ask for the Holy Spirit. And I will pour out the Holy Spirit upon you. And I think this is so helpful because sometimes I think, we ask for the wrong things. And, and Jesus is saying here, look, ask for more of God. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit in your life, and I will gladly give it. Just like a parent, even an evil parent with all their faults, will of course give food and shelter and all they can to their child. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We're to ask. Sometimes we need to go a little bit further than that. And we're not just to ask, but we're to seek God. Seek God earnestly for more of his presence. Seek God earnestly for a depth of intimacy. And sometimes we're to go a step further. We're to knock and knock and ask and bang on the door and say, God, you said, give me more of you. God, you said, give me more of your presence and more of your spirit. We're not to give up. We're to ask for more of his Holy Spirit. And when we do that, God will give it to us. He always will. And this is what Jesus is reminding us here in the Sermon on the Mount, that the contrast in verse 9 to 11 between the kind of the evil parents or parents who, who you know, have their faults and are not perfect and, and the Heavenly Father is how much more? We know that to be true, either in our own life, through our own parents, or, or through us as parents. We know that we give good things to our children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And it's interesting, you know, where it says good gifts in verse 11, where it talks about good gifts, It's not talking there about kind of like, you know, your Xbox or it's not talking there about a nice dress or it's not talking about that. It's talking about spiritual gifts. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 31 that we are to eagerly, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And Jesus is here. He's just helping us. He's showing us bread and fish are essential for our physical life. for for food and nutrition and to live. Good gifts, spiritual gifts, good gifts are essential for our spiritual life. We are to ask, we are to seek, and we are to knock for the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, prophecy, the gift of wisdom the gift of healing, the the, the gift of miracles, the gift of hospitality, all of these things, we are to ask God to give them to us. We're to earnestly desire them. And I believe that right now in 2021, we need more of the Holy Spirit than ever before. We need more of God in our lives than ever before. We need more of his power. We need more of his presence. We need more of his gifts. And we need more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we're to ask for the Holy Spirit because that's what Jesus is talking about here. If we ask, he will give it to us. If we seek, he will give it to us. If we knock, he will give it to us because he loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. It's the Holy Spirit that transforms the weak coward Peter to the bold proclaiming Pentecost preacher, 3,000 saved Peter. It's the Holy Spirit that is the difference. So church, we need to be more bold in our asking for the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Lord's Prayer tells us to ask for our daily bread and ask for forgiveness and ask for protection, but this is another layer that Jesus is teaching us about, to ask for the Holy Spirit and ask for the gifts of the Spirit, because the world out there is longing to see men and women of God rise up And be boldly proclaiming Jesus, showing and demonstrating the Holy Spirit in their lives. Wesley, who's a a famous kind of guy from a couple of hundred years ago, uh, he used to have this little phrase. He used to say, I set myself on fire and people come and watch me burn. What he was talking about was, "I I asked for the Holy Spirit to come in my life and people come and watch and see the difference that the Holy Spirit makes in my life. We're to ask, we're to seek, we're to knock for the Holy Spirit power in our lives. Okay, final verse for today, verse 12. So whenever you wish that others would do to you, So, sorry, start again. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus here basically gives us the golden rule. He sums up everything in this one sentence. This is our golden rule of relationships. Do to others what you would want done to yourself. And, and that really kind of is the one- sentence answer to a thousand scenarios. You ask me this scenario, what are you do in this scenario? What are you doing in that scenario? What are you doing in that scenario? Well, answer that question. How would I like to be treated in that situation? That's what Jesus is saying, and it's interesting that the initiative is on us to be proactive in demonstrating love to others. It's the very opposite of self-love. It's the very opposite of your self-interest or putting yourself first. Now, nobody but nobody lived this way fully except Jesus Christ. But we are to be genuine, gentle, gracious, and full of gratitude to others. That's the Christian counterculture that's the flipped. I, I want to treat you how I would love to be treated myself. This is the Christian counterculture of saying, it's not about an individual, It's not about me. It's about a community. It's about loving one another. It's about a family. That's the picture that God gives us in scripture, that we are part of God's family, that Hope Church is God's family, brothers and sisters in Christ with a heavenly father. It tells us that it's all about relationship. That's what it's all about. Loving one another, caring for one another, putting needs of one another in front of my own and being in a relationship with my heavenly father, asking for more of the spirit, asking for good gifts that he would pour out upon me. It's vertical and horizontal It's relationships, which is what this life and this world is about. So let me conclude. Let me let me tie everything up. These these verses in uh, Matthew seven could look a little bit strange on first reading, but together you, the, the, the kind of the thread that is through them all is relationships, our attitude to our brother and sister our attitude even to the pigs and the dogs, as Jesus explains, our attitude to our heavenly Father, our attitude to all men, all women, all those throughout the planet. Now, Jesus lived this perfect life. Jesus lived the perfect life of a relationship with the Father and a relationship with those in the world. He lived the perfect life and then died on the cross so that we can have a relationship with God. What we're going to do in a moment is we're going to worship together. We're going to share communion together. And I invite anyone who loves Jesus, their Lord and Savior, to take part in that. And then we're going to kind of finish our time together by asking God, for more of his spirit, by doing basically what it tells us to do in verses 7 to 11, and asking God for more of him, more of his presence, more intimacy, more of his power, more of his gifts, more of him in our lives. So if the worship band could